me to a different text this morning. Um, we're in the book of Luke, but I'm going to take a step away from Luke. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Pastor Tito will be sharing next Sunday, and I'm looking forward to hearing him myself. But uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And when I, um, when I resume in the book of Luke, we'll pick back up with chapter 17. Uh, but I'm going to take a step away today and share from Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. And if you don't have a Bible, you can keep it as well. Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to be starting with verse 1. So just read along with me. Not out loud, although some churches do that. Just read along with me. Starting in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we, have the, we are of the circumcision who worship God in spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteous which is in the law, blameless. What things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is, by, uh, which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Therefore, as many as are mature have this mind. And if, any of, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example. Note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Let's pray. Father, we ask again the same power that raised your son from the dead, uh, Lord, would just rule and reign in our midst now. Lord, that uh, I would not be heard, but your Holy Spirit would be. And that, Lord, that we would receive, believe, and apply the things that you give to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in the spring... Uh, I did a message from Philippians chapter 4. I took one of those steps away that I occasionally do, and I did a me message from Philippians chapter 4, and you might remember the title, it was called The Place of Personal Peace. Uh, 
Some of you may remember uh, that message. And actually, uh, quite a few of you, uh, you know, grabbed the CDs and were giving it out, so hopefully it was a, a blessing to you. This morning I'm doing uh, somewhat of a follow-up, although I'm going backwards from Philippians 4 to the third chapter, somewhat of a follow-up to that, but from a different perspective, just as chapter 3 is different from chapter 4, but there, they, there's definitely some related aspects with, between Joe, both chapters. Uh, remember back in 1988, how many of you remember 1988? Yeah, I do too. I graduated high school in 87. Uh, remember that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? You, can't for, you, you cannot forget that song once you've heard it. Uh, it was sung by Bobby McFerrin. Now, I realize I mentioned another 80s song five weeks ago. Just follow me on this. Um, it was an a cappella song. Didn't sound a cappella, but it was. It was an a cappella song uh, that went all the way to number one. Billboard's number one. It was, it was lighthearted, wasn't it? Very lighthearted. It had an encouraging, positive tune and message. It was catchy, perhaps annoying. And it was instantly locked in your brain once you heard it, that you would actually, you could not get it out of your head, even if you didn't like the song. And I didn't like it. I, I was no fan of the song. I was unsaved at the time. Uh, I was 19, going on 20. I didn't know the Lord. And because I was somewhat then, and somewhat now, a literal thinker, um, I thought the song was ridiculous. And I, you know, I liked all kinds of uh, music, but I just thought the song, uh, you know, I was like, this, is, this song is ridiculous. This is dumb. Ain't got no cash. Don't have a place to lay my head. Don't worry. Be happy. I had just gotten my first apartment, and when I didn't have cash to pay the rent, I wasn't happy. <laughs> and if I couldn't pay my car paint and insurance, I still wasn't happy. You remember, you remember those days? And, you did, and I, I didn't think any of that was happy. And I didn't know the Lord, and I didn't have any perspective on that. So lack of, uh, lack of cash and financial pressure, those things made me mad, not happy. But the song... Unwittingly, actually, to a degree, does have some scriptural truth. Now, I know this now. I didn't know that then. It wasn't written as some Christian song, but, it, but to some degree, it actually has some scriptural truth. Why would I say that? Well, uh, there's not a verse in the Bible. There's no verse in the Bible that says, don't worry, be happy. You will not find that word, you will not find that phrase in the Bible. Just like you won't find God helps those who helps himself, you won't find that in the Bible either. But the Bible does say, there's seven verses, in fact, in the New Testament, seven in the New Testament where Jesus himself says, do not worry. Seven times Jesus says, do not worry in the New Testament. And there's numerous passages all through, from Genesis to Revelation, numerous passages to be joyful, to be grateful, to be thankful, and to be rejoicing. True? If you've read through the Psalms, or if you've read through different passages, you'll see them. They just kind of come up like popcorn all throughout the Scriptures. Be joyful. Be thankful. And Proverbs says, happy is the man. Talks about happiness as well. And here's what I've found personally 27 years after 1998 and 20 years since I came to know the Lord in 1995. It's not easy as a Christian to be joyful to be rejoicing, to have a happy spirit, even though we've been saved. It's not always easy, is it? 
Even when you know the Lord, even when you know the truth, it's not always easy. But the difficulty isn't always for the same reasons as before we got saved. The reasons are not always the same as before we got saved. Before we got saved, I might be more annoyed that I'm stressed about paying the rent. Things that uh, in the past would, uh, before salvation, that would irritate us or depress us or anger us, um, all those things before salvation, they can, still, they can still rise up after salvation too. But then there's these other things that we didn't even think about before salvation that actually can add extra weight because now we know a lot. That makes sense? Just like adults, you have things to worry about that your kids don't even think about. Sometimes you look at them like, man, I wish I was in their world. Right? They're only worried about what gum they're choosing this afternoon, right? Once you know a lot, you have more to carry. True? We clearly see, once we're saved, we clearly see, we see the battle for the souls of men. It's not just news on CNN. We actually see the battle for the souls of men. We see evil in its most vile, and we actually understand its demonic form. We recognize it for what it really is. We see a fallen world, and even our own nation, we see it careening to destruction and judgment. We see lies, we see corruption, we see cover-ups as the norm in our society today. People can't even trust their leaders. These things make us sad, they make us concerned, they even make us angry, even as Christians. Personally, we've been touched in our own lives. Maybe you've had deaths in the family, you've lost loved ones, you've had tough times, you've had health issues, uh, just personal battles, financial issues, financial pressures. Um, and even when we know the Lord, we don't always feel like singing in the rain. That's another old song. That goes way back. Gene Kelly. We don't always feel like singing through those things, do we? And, but the Bible, it's not silent on this apparent, I said apparent dilemma. It's an apparent dilemma. The Bible's not silent on it. God actually knows exactly how we feel and how we actually internalize the fact that on the one hand, we know we're to be joyful. On the other hand, we actually see all the stuff around us how does the Bible want us to respond? How does Jesus want us to respond? You see, the world, the world has a few common responses to life's difficulties and this world that's passing away. They kind of know it's passing away, but they, they don't really come to that admitting it that's passing away. I mean, there's people that, whether it's, they'll talk about zombie apocalypse or they'll talk, you know, uh, Xbox games that where the, the world is being destroyed and all these things. So there's this kind of under the, under the current kind of acknowledgement that things aren't good and people have their own difficulties in life. But there, there's, there's some common responses that the world has uh, to this situation. One is just to simply escape reality. Just escape reality. Act as if nothing's wrong and try and create your own personal cocoon and your own personal utopia. In other words, you might find someone says something like this, I don't even watch the news. I don't read the papers. I just watch my NFL team. I go to work. 
I go hunt, I go fish, I go do this, I go do that. I don't care about any of it. If it doesn't affect me, I put it out of my mind. Now, that's great, but people actually need us. True? There really are little children dying. There really are people starving to death. There really are people that need to be visited in hospitals. So you can create your own utopia and just escape reality. And as far as you're concerned, as long as you don't have a headache, you don't care if anyone else does. Just escape reality. Just be self-absorbed. And many are. As a matter of fact, Madison Avenue tells Americans, just be self-absorbed. Just focus on your own pleasure. Do, do not care if the world is falling apart. As long as yours isn't, you're fine. Another, another common reaction is just to live by your emotions. Just live by your emotions. If you want to get even, get even. If you want to get angry, get angry. If you want to be upset, depressed, anxious, meltdown, wringing your hands in fear, just let it all flow out. Some people say, hey, just, just let it go. Never, maybe, I guess that feels good for a little bit, but eventually that kind of becomes a vicious cycle. It just destroys a person slowly but surely. Number, another one uh, that's a common response is to get medicated or get intoxicated. In some way, shape, or form, well, this is another way to escape reality, right? Medicated or intoxicated. And, uh, you know, just kind of numb the pain or numb reality. Many people live by a cocktail of all three of those, right? It's partial self-utopia, partial let their emotions go any way they want, and partial intoxication slash medication, whatever, whatever the case may be. Does that make sense? So a lot of people live by some cocktail of all three of those things. But if we're followers of Jesus Christ, and we're listening to the Apostle Paul and what he's saying here, we're not going to respond like the world does. We might have a, in our flesh a desire to. You know, Romans said, in our flesh nothing good dwells. Even though I still have Christ in me, there's still a flesh part of me that always thinks the negative response of what the Scriptures are telling me to do. We are to see things soberly. We are to be clear, uh, eyes wide open. We know what's going on. We know the world is heading towards destruction. We're to see things wide-eyed and with the light of Christ, and understand what's going around it. But at the same time, whether it's our personal lives or the collective world around us, we're still to be a joyful light in the midst of chaos, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of personal trials. If you're taking notes, I've called this message a call to rejoice. A call to rejoice, which is what Paul starts off here. But listen to a few other verses in the New Testament. Listen to these verses in the New Testament. Two are written by Peter. Two are written by Paul. One's written by the Apostle John. Actually, all three are apostles, but Paul came later. But two, two by Peter, two by Paul, one by John. This one first by 1 Peter in 1 Peter 4, 7. Listen to what Peter writes. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. That's a heavy verse, isn't it? But the end of all things at hand, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Romans 8, 23, this one from Paul. But we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. Boy, as your body gets old, you really are waiting for a new body, aren't you? A redemption of the body. 
And this is also speaking of the redemption of the body of Christ. Remember in Scripture, the principle of duality. It means two things at the same time, or sometimes more than two things at the same time. We look forward to the redemption of the body of Christ, Calvary Chapel, Baptist churches, Church of God, all of us going up to be with the Lord. But we also look for the redemption of our personal bodies that are fading away. That my dear bride, after four straight years of being 39, as Randy said, you know, little by little, she used to be a gymnast. She'd do all these flips and stuff. She can still do one, but then the next day, oh, man. <laughs> High school, that wasn't a big deal. Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 4.8. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. You ever perplexed? But not in despair. Paul wrote that. 2 Peter 3, 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Well, that one's heavy, isn't it? God says the whole world is reserved for fire and judgment. John writes this in 1 John 2, 18. Little children, it is the last hour. Well, the last hours begin when Jesus raised from the dead and went back into heaven. That ushered in the end times, and we've been in it for the last 2,000 years. It's, I, I give the analogy sometimes. Uh, we're in a football game. We've already gone through four quarters, and I believe we're down to the two-minute warning. But the whole game has been going on uh, since Christ went back to heaven. But John writes, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists had come by which we know that it is the last hour. Now, these are not happy thoughts, are they? Not all of them. Difficulty, hard-pressed, the world judgment coming, trials and tribulations in life, perplexed at times. They're not happy thoughts, but they're reflective. What they are, the Holy Spirit doesn't pull any punches. They're reflective of real life and the real condition of the world. The real life and real condition of the world. Not, you know, utopia that you can see on a TV program and takes you into a Disney world. This is the, the Holy Spirit saying this is the way the world really is. And the Christian life is a paradox that is only possible to live. I want you to hear this clearly. The Christian life is a paradox that's only possible to live first by being born again and second by being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Why did I say it's a paradox? Well, we're on the one hand, we're on the one hand, we're called to be watchmen on the wall. We're to be watchful. We're to be the most understanding of the times we're in. I don't have the choice not to watch the news. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to share what's going on. I'm called to share it in the light of Scripture. I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about politicizing it. I'm not talking about making it socially acceptable. I'm not talking about making it palatable. I'm talking about we are called to be watchful and understand the times from a biblical perspective. We're to be the most watchful, the most understanding of the times. We're to be the most grieved by the times. When other people don't shed a tear of a tsunami hits in Southeast Asia, they say, well, that's nowhere near where I live, so I don't care. We should care, Right? We should still care when people are starving and hungry and thirsty, dying of diseases. We're the ones that should be the most driven to our knees. And yet at the same time, here's the paradox, 
We were to be watchful, understanding, grieving, driven to our knees, and at the same time, we're to be the most joyful, the most pleasant, the most hopeful, the most positive, and the most peaceful people the world should ever encounter. That's a paradox, isn't it? And don't you think Jesus exhibited this? Little children love to come to him. Little children don't like to come to someone who's really irritable. Jesus said, let the little children come. I see some Christians, I know no kid would ever approach them. I've heard kids say, I'm afraid of that. I'm like, that's not a good thing. Children should see a joy in us, but yet a trust that we actually know whom we believe in. We actually know the darkness around us, and we know how to pray against it and through it. If you're taking notes, I just want to leave you with three things this morning briefly. Three things, and hopefully this is practical and tangible for you. And there are three things that go like this. Rejoice now, how, and why. Rejoice now, not later, now. August 30th, 2015. Rejoice now, how to do it, and why to do it. Paul starts off in uh, chapter 3 here. He says, finally, uh, my brethren... Now, when Paul says finally, some, ta- some pastors will joke about this. That Paul says finally, he still has a whole other couple of chapters left, or you know, that kind of thing. Because uh, pastors will say finally, and there's still 20 minutes left. So don't get, it's the way it is. But actually, in this term, that's not what he's saying. When Paul says finally here, what it really means, the connotation it means is as for the rest. As for the rest. He's written uh, two full uh, chapters they weren't in chapters then. He was about the middle of the letter, if you will. So he's about the middle of the letter, and he says, as for the rest, whereas Andy, as for the rest of the story, as for the rest of learning to rejoice, he says, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is the only thing that will never fail to be able to be rejoicing in. You can rejoice for a little while with a new job, with a promotion, with some new thing you got. But over time, those things fade, but the Lord you can rejoice in perpetually. Rejoice in the Lord. And he says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious. I'll tell you what, as a pastor, a lot of times, and Paul was way more spiritually mature than I am. Far more spiritually mature probably than all of us, right? For me, sometimes it is tedious to repeat the same things. Parents, is it ever tedious for you to repeat the same things? Sometimes it is tedious to me because I think, Lord, I've preached now since 2007. I don't know how many messages, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And I feel like sometimes I've said the same thing. And the Bible is a very repetitive book. And Paul says, it's not tedious for me to retell you the same things. Why? Because we can forget what we heard an hour from now. And so God says, you have to be keep reminding, keep reminding. And Paul's reminding them again, we need reminders to rejoice. Because the Philippians, they lived under the Roman Empire. Not always easy to rejoice. We need continuous reminders. We've got to rejoice. We need to rejoice. We have to have a spirit of rejoicing. The word here uh, for rejoice, it me, uh, the, the Greek word is Cairo sounds just like in Egypt, Cairo. It means to be glad, to rejoice exceedingly. And I love these last two pieces of the meaning. 
to be well or to thrive. Isn't that what God wants the body of Christ to be? Well and thriving. By the way, the world wants us to be sick and dying. That's why there's persecution. But the persecution, uh, Satan's never been able to stamp out the light of the church. And matter of fact, when people really have their roots go deep into Jesus, they are well and they do thrive because you said, abide in me. But rejoice is the theme of the whole book of Philippians. If you read the whole book, you're going to see the word rejoice quite a few times. And uh, remember that Paul has shown uh, the city of Philippi firsthand how to rejoice in any situation. Uh, when he visited there with Silas, what happened to him? He was thrown into jail and he was chained to the ground and to uh, Silas. And there they are. In the middle of the night, they start singing praise songs to the Lord. How many people would do that? You've been beaten, you've been chained, you've thrown into a dark cell with probably rats and all this other stuff, and Paul says, hey, let's start singing some praise songs. That was his response. Seven times in Philippians, Paul uses the same Greek word, kairo, and a total of 11 times, the word rejoice is rendered in the English language in most of your Bibles. You'll see it 11 times. Rejoice. Rejoice is very similar to the Old Testament phrase. And I didn't know that the worship team was going to sing Hallelujah. I don't know what the name of that song was. Um, but the chorus had Hallelujah a few times in it. And uh, the Old Testament phrase, Praise ye the Lord. You ever read that when you're reading the Psalms? Praise ye the Lord. There's this whole song, Praise ye the Lord. Uh, which is translated from two Hebrew words, Hallel, and you get Hallelujah. So whenever you're saying Hallelujah, you're effectively saying, Praise ye the Lord. Hopefully you'll remember, when you time you're singing Hallelujah, what you're really saying is, Praise ye the Lord. And the term is found at the beginning of ten of the Psalms. Ten of the Psalms, starting in Psalm 106, and then all the way, it's kind of sporadically through. But it's found in ten of the Psalms, and God wants us, in spite of our circumstances, in spite of the condition of the world, in spite of the condition of our nation, to still be full of joy. That children would still say, that is someone I'd like to sit and listen to. That's someone that I could enjoy going to get an ice cream with or something. We still have to have a disposition of rejoicing and joy. We can't be a wet blanket and just, you know, we have, to, there's a, when Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, there is a season for everything. There's a time to grieve, isn't there? But there's also a time to, to let our light shine with joy. And the people, people should wonder at your workplace and your neighbors, you know, uh, they should wonder why you're full of joy. I walk, me and my wife, we went for an early morning walk uh, earlier this week and, um, we're out walking, and someone's dog was lost, and these two ladies said, is this your dog? Not our dog, and we're trying to find whose dog it was. In our neighborhood, we've got a lot of people that are definitely lost. They don't know the Lord. I've had conversations with them. They're trying to find their own personal utopias. They're aiming for career success. They're trying to find some sort of fulfillment in life and all, buying new cars, new stuff, new things. And yet, we still want to, when we meet them, we want to have joy that they can't purchase. They can't buy it at Target, can't buy it at Lowe's, they can't get it at the office, and just to be a light and a witness to them. Amen? 
People want to see it. They'll become thirsty for that. Now, we know we're supposed to rejoice, but how? How do we do it? How do we live a life of rejoicing? Well, let's look at just, we're going to just tick through this. This is not meant to be a deep, exhaustive uh, study, but it's meant to be an encouragement to us. Look at verse 2, where Paul says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Uh, number one here, be aware. Uh, be aware of what's going on. Be aware of legalism. Be aware of license. Be aware of those that would twist the scriptures. Uh, but don't be distracted by it. Don't be depressed by it. And don't be derailed by it. I'm aware that there's pulpits in America that are no longer preaching the gospel at all anymore. But that's not going to change what I'm going to do. And it shouldn't change what you're going to do. Amen? Paul says be aware of it just so you don't become in fellowship with those that are actually deviating from the true faith. I'm aware of it, but I don't make that my constant fixation. You ever notice that people that are just constant, they're fixated on everything false, 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 false. Yes, I know. We have to keep reaching out, be aware of it, but not fixated on it. Uh, second one here, be yielded. Be yielded. He says, uh, for we're the circumcision who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ. Now he said in verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. Now he says rejoice in Christ. And he mentions the spirit. Here we have the Trinity, by the way. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit together in our lives. We worship God. Jesus said when, you, when he taught, him, taught the disciples how to pray, hallowed be the Father was the very first thing. Hallowed be your name. Learning to worship the Father through the Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in Christ. In John chapter 4, Jesus said that God was looking for true worshipers. True worshipers indicated that we do have false worshipers, but the Lord's looking for true worshipers, that we rejoice and praise and worship the Lord in spirit. And when you rejoice in Jesus, you're never going to get let down. You're not going to get let down. You never leave us nor forsake us. How do, we, how do we yield our lives? Well, we yield our lives in prayer. We yield it in singing the Lord. Sometimes, uh, you know, we can actually put those um, iPods to good use. Just sometimes it's good to just put some praise music in and just start singing the Lord. Amen? Sometimes it's prayer for me. Sometimes it's praise. Sometimes it's a combination of both. But if I come into the presence of the Lord, it drives out all the other stuff that's around me. And I, have, I start to think more clearly. And a smile emerges on the face. Praising his name. Just start praising his name. Riding in traffic. Getting nowhere. Going nowhere fast. Getting agitated. Blood pressure rising. Just start praising the Lord. What are you going to do anyway? You're going to turn your car into an airplane? No. Start praising. Start thanking him. Chapter 4, which I covered back in the spring. There's a lot of that there. Rejoicing that he's in control of our lives. He's in control of the world. He's already won every battle. We have to remember, it's not tedious for Paul to remind. It's not tedious for me to remind me. And you to remind you. Billy Graham said, The Holy Spirit can rejuvenate a tired Christian captivate an indifferent believer, and empower a dry church. It has to be through the Holy Spirit. He says here, God 
in spirit. Uh, we don't even preach even enough in this church about the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to try and get there. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We need the drenching of the Holy Spirit. We need people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The other thing about being yielded is just do the will of God. What is the will of God? Tell people about the Lord. Share God with others. D.L. Moody said it is the greatest pleasure of living to win souls to Christ. It's the greatest pleasure of living to win souls to Christ. Man, I love when I see people come to the Lord. But don't you want to be a part of that harvest? I mean, it's not every harvest that I'm part of that I actually did the initial witnessing, but I'm part of somewhere planting the seeds and watering. How about you? Be an active part. It'll cause us to more regularly rejoice. He's got a few other things here. Paul says, and I'm just uh, looking through all the way from verses uh, 4 through 6, and I'm not going to reread them. But Paul talked about his past life, Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, he was trained, and he doesn't say it here, but other places, he was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul was highly educated, spoke multiple languages, knew the law better than other people, was so zealous for the law, he thought he was doing God a favor by throwing Christians in jail. So, by the way, religious fanaticism, people can really believe what they're doing. And he believed that he was uh, zealous for God, of the tribe of Benjamin, loved the law, a devout Pharisee. But his reminder here is to be humble. Take no confidence in your past resume. You know that God is not impressed with any man's resume? There's no one on earth that God says, wow. You are something else. You've got two PhDs. You've made a million dollars this year. You are something else. Right? Be humble. Paul said all of his past accomplishments were worthless. He called it rubbish. Not worth much. Be humble. Next one, be surrendered. Verse 8. Yet indeed I count all things the excellence knowing of Christ Jesus, whom I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them rubbish, that I gain Christ. Be surrendered. Everything else, think, remember this, everything else but Jesus is worth losing. Everything else but Jesus is actually worth losing, if he demands it. Even the Old Testament, remember, God told Abraham, put Isaac, right? He said, I need to know that you count me above everything else. Everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else. Now, it's not that we want to, I don't want to lose anyone in my life, and neither do you. But Jesus is saying the point is, everything else should pale in comparison. That's what we talked about. Everything else should look like hate in comparison to our love for the Lord back in our Luke study. We all need to gain more of Jesus in our life. True? He says that I might gain Christ. Now, Paul's already saved, so what's he talking about? Gain Christ. How could he gain Christ? It's to gain more of the power and life of Christ in our life. I've been saved since 1995, as I mentioned, but I tell you, I can gain more of Christ as far as flowing through me than I currently have today. How about you? Gaining more of the Lord in our life. It's all about faith. It's all about growing in our faith. Next one, look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and being conformed to his death. Now, this is not a pleasant necessarily pleasant thought to think through. If we had more time to delve on this, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. We say, check, like that one. Power of resurrection, 
Love it. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Not so much. Right? And yet, Paul puts them both in the same verse. Power of the resurrection, knowing, uh, the, knowing, his, uh, being the fellow, or knowing the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. And his death was crucifixion. Uh, that's, a, that's a really difficult death to be conformed to. But what ultimately the Lord wants us to conform to is not to conform to this world. And when we're not conformed to this world, we're conformed to the pattern of Jesus' life. And if he wills, we accept even suffering. And everyone in here has suffered at some point in time, to some degree, some more than others. I think the more yielded to Christ, and this is why a lot of people won't yield to Christ, they believe, and they're somewhat right, if I'm more yielded to Christ, I might encounter more suffering. And that's true, but you'll also encounter way more of God's power and grace in your life. You know, we really need to die to our understanding of things. Don't try and figure out why God said it. Say, believe he said it and apply it. The Bible says, lean not to our own understanding. My understanding, your understanding is very flawed, isn't it? No matter what the situation, we think we have a good handle on it, and God says, you don't. Don't lean to your own understanding. And what I've also found is when we've learned to conform to his death and conform to his sufferings, when we come through them, I really can say, I look back on some of the sufferings I've had in my own life, some of the difficulties, some of the, and I look back, and I really am glad I went through them after the fact. How about you? I never feel that way in them, ever. But later I'm like, wow, I'm really glad I went through that. I much more understand either a spiritual thing or how to comfort somebody else. But at the time, I didn't feel that way. And it's just conforming my thoughts to his and not trying to understand it, but just, you see that, that act of just dying to your own will? And that conforms us to the Lord. In Acts 5.41, uh, after the apostles had been... Um, Persecuted, they, they said they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. You have to grow in the Lord to get to that place, that they could actually rejoice to suffer for his name. F.B. Meyer said, he said, be indifferent to emotion. If it be there, be thankful. If it is absent, go on doing the will of God, reckoning on him, speaking well of him behind his back, and above all, giving no signs of what you are suffering, lest you be a stumbling block to others. Many people are a stumbling block to others because they're looking for joy in a Christian's life, and a Christian is just complaining and cursing the darkness. True? You Christians, you're either really upset or all you do is talk about the negative things. Now, I'm aware of those things, I see them, and I'm going to preach. All of, you know, the whole counsel of God. That's why we go verse by verse of the Bible, so we don't, we're not picking and choosing. But at the same time, we want to have genuine joy, real rejoicing. I want to close with why. And you might say, well, the answers are obvious, but let's look at them from what Paul wrote. When I say why, the, the question is, what's the impact? What's the impact and the reality of our rejoicing? What's the impact and the reality of of our rejoicing. And three things I'll close with. First one's found in verse 10. Power. 
power. That's an impact area, power. Paul writes in verse 10 that I may know him in the power of the resurrection. Remember, we like that one, power. Jesus said in Acts 1.8 that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me. Uh, anyone that's ever tried to witness, you know that I, even if you've done it many times, you will still have this fear of rejection. The only thing that overcomes it is the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you obey, power is released in your life. The Bible is not a book just to be read, it's to be believed and followed. And when you follow it, a power is released. And when you witness, you feel the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And God says, I want to give you that power in all situations. I meditate regularly, and I encourage you to do the same. I love 1 Timothy 1.12. I read it a few weeks ago. I'll read it again. It's not tedious for me to remind you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now, interestingly, we don't use the power like the world uses the power. The world uses the power to gather more power, gather consensus, whip people into what they want them to do, right? The world uses power to amass wealth, even if other people don't have, hey, say, tough luck. The world uses power to suppress. You've heard the old climb the corporate ladder if you've got to step on a few people along the way, right? That's a form of power. Take power. God doesn't ask us to take power. He gives power. Do you see the difference? See, the rest of the unsaved world is trying to grab power. We're not trying to grab power. The power I get from God doesn't take any power away from you. Matter of fact, God wants to give us collectively all the same power. Make sense? Whereas the world, for them to have power, they have to take some of your power away. Where the body of Christ, God says, none of you have to lose any power. I actually will endow all of you with power. Power to what? No longer live in fear power to be able to see the world for what it is and still be on our knees and still have joy. That takes a special kind of power. That's why it's a paradox that I mentioned at the beginning. Power, that's impact in our lives and it's impact on others. Second one is perseverance. Look at verses 12 through 14. I'm not going to be able to go through it, but twice Paul says, I press on in verse 12. In verse 14 he says, I press towards the goal. And he said, I forget the past, which means past success, but also a lot of past failure. One of the things about persevering is you don't, you don't dwell on past failures. If that was true, the Wright brothers, Thomas Edison, right? The Dyson vacuum guy, all those guys would have given up, right? He's got a modern story like theirs. You have to go read it sometime. But anyway. Um, but the Lord wants us to persevere, to live through and to push through. And the way that we're supposed to do it is with joy. To say, Lord, I'm just going to rejoice, and God pulls us through, shows us a new perspective. George Sweeting says, as we face the pressures and problems of life, let us not seek a passive patience, but rather a positive, enthusiastic cooperation with God's purpose. One of the reasons we can persevere is we know God has a purpose. That makes sense? We know God has a purpose. So if something, you ever have things happen, you're like, why? This makes no sense. Why get a flat tower here now? And you just have to say, Lord, there must be a purpose for this. And there's a perseverance in life that we have to develop that patience, but also just rejoice. Again, continue to rejoice through it. And the last, if you look at power, look at perseverance, the last is position. What is our position? Well, this is a reality statement. 
power is impact in our lives. Perseverance impact in our lives. The last one, position is a reality statement. What is the reality of who we are as believers? Well, Paul sums it up in verses 17 through 21. He says, join in following my example. Uh, Paul's like, look, and he, and he talks about uh, those of you who are mature back in, um, uh, back in verse 15. Paul's like, if you, once you become mature in the Lord, you start to look at the reality of who you are in the Lord, and you're not as derailed by the thoughts of the flesh. That makes sense? That, that after a while, you see that you're not ignorant of Satan's devices. He sows seeds of doubt. He throws this in. You look at this situation. You just want to throw in the towel. And then Paul says, but after you become mature, you're like, hold on, time out. My home is in Chesterfield County. My home is heaven. And I know why I'm under attack now. And you all of a sudden, in, in sports, they say it's when the game slows down for you, Right? The quarterbacks that only have three seconds, they feel like they have eight. And as Christians, we start to see darts coming, and we are actually able to move out of the way of a lot of them because we understand our citizenship is in heaven. We, we can rejoice because we have a genuine, unfailing hope. In Romans 5.5, 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. What is this hope that doesn't disappoint that he's speaking of? What is this citizenship in heaven that Paul speaks of in verse 20? Well, in other words, the Spirit is re reminding us of our destiny. Not because we earned it, but because we trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a destiny that this world is not actually our home. If I never get the private island that I've seen on HGT, which some of them are really cool looking, <laughs> and I don't think I will. As a matter of fact, I'm positive I'm never getting one of those private islands. But I've got a mansion in heaven. How about that? And so do you. And you have to believe that and sometimes stop and remember it. And it'll give you cause to rejoice. This world's not our home. The Bible says, according to Ephesians 1.20, we're seated right now in heavenly places. Well, I don't feel like I'm seated in a heavenly place. That's because it's in the spiritual realm. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Look what Paul says. He says, for our citizenship... Look at verse 20. I want you to be clear on this. For our citizenship will be in heaven. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? Our citizenship is in heaven. Current state. Present state. It's a future state, but it's also a current state. My name's already written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and if you're saved, so is yours. That's really cool to know. It already is registered in heaven. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope. Patient tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. See, the world has a hope that everything will turn out. That's that utopia thinking. That's that escape reality. They have a hope that everything's just going to work out. Eventually, people will stop being bad. We've been trying this in the school systems forever. And chewing gum isn't the problem anymore, is it? Kids shooting other kids in school and stuff. Eventually, they'll just start acting good again. It'll return to the 50s. And the worst thing about the other is the sock hops or whatever. It doesn't happen that way. People say, I, I, I hope to live to 80. I hope to have a great life. I hope to get to heaven. That's, that, that kind of hope is really just winging it. And people don't really even believe. They have no confidence in that. You ever, wanted to go, you ever wanted to go to a movie 
that you thought was, you know, everyone's talking about the movie, so you've got to get the movie. Now, if you go to Commonwealth 20 down the street here, uh, if you go to buy a ticket, the window is outside. Ever been there? You buy the ticket on the outside, and then you go through the theater, and then there's one of those kids wearing, like, the striped uh, black pants with the red uh, thing, and they take your ticket, right? I have never thought once when I bought the ticket, never thought once when I bought the ticket, man, I hope they take this ticket. I hope this works. Why? Because I had 100% validity that the ticket came from them and would be honored, and that's the way true salvation is. We, I, you don't think, well, I hope, this, I hope this ticket is accepted. It was purchased by Jesus Christ. And so you know it's going to work. You don't doubt it. Whereas the rest of the world, their hope is flimsy. I hope things turn out. I hope it turns out okay. I hope this goes well. But the Lord wants us to rejoice because of each of these things. Because he's given us power. He wants us to persevere. And he wants us to understand our position in Christ. Amen? And eternity. We want to be rejoicing. And our rejoicing, as I close, our rejoicing will honor our Lord and Savior first and foremost. Rejoicing will honor the Lord. But also, it'll lift us up. It'll lift us out. It'll change our perspective. It'll change those around us. It really will change. You'll actually have people that someday might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior because you stopped just being down about everything and started showing them the liver, uh, the, not liver, rivers, <laughs> rivers of living water coming out of us. Amen? The world wants to see it. If you guys have something so great, show it. That's what Paul's saying, that we can live in a difficult time under the Roman Empire and still be rejoicing. And that's why he said, I'm going to keep reminding and keep reminding and keep reminding. Amen? Let's come to a close. Father, we thank you that you continue to remind us to have the Holy Spirit flow in our lives. And Lord, if there's anyone here that's just dry, I pray even now you would rejuvenate by just us stopping to say, Lord, we're sorry, to praise your name, and to thank you. And Lord, we choose, because we know your word is true, we choose to obey to just trust and obey and to rejoice in you this morning. And Lord, as we do, we know that you would have a transformative effect in our lives by your Spirit. Lord, we collectively rejoice and say thank you for so great a salvation. Thank you that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We love you, and if we haven't told you lately, we want to tell you again that we might continue, Lord, to grow to be more like you. In your name we pray.